Hi everyone, I'm sorry that I've been late with the upload of recent episodes including this one, and actually because of that, to better manage the production of each episode, I've decided to change the show's release schedule from every Friday to every weekend, which means Saturday or Sunday. Though I can't always be consistent with the day itself, it's still gonna be weekly, so rest assured that at the start of every week, you'll still have a new episode to listen to. Thanks for understanding. In December 1987, residents of the eastern coast of Mindoro Oriental were shocked to find dozens of human corpses washed up on their shores, some of them brought over by fishermen who had caught them in their fishing nets. The burned and mangled bodies were the casualties of a passenger ferry and oil tanker that days earlier had collided with each other in an unfortunate accident. You're listening to Stories After Dark, a Philippine true crime and mystery podcast powered by Anchor and released exclusively on Spotify with new episodes out every weekend. This is the story of the MV Doña Paz, which collided with the MT Vector, resulting in more than 4,000 lives lost, and what's as of this recording considered history's deadliest peacetime maritime disaster. Listener discretion is advised due to the graphic nature of this story. As maritime disasters go, particularly in peacetime or outside the realms of war, the 1912 sinking of the British ocean liner, the RMS Titanic, is arguably the most famous shipwreck in history. But its 1,516 fatalities, though a tremendous body count, pale in comparison to the casualties of the MV Doña Paz in 1987. The number would have been lower, but as it happens with most public transportation modes in the Philippines, there were more people than were officially allowed to be on board. It was the early morning of December 20, 1987, five days before Christmas, and thousands of Filipinos, many of them entire families with young children, had lined up as chance passengers of the MV Doña Paz in Tacloban, Leyte, Eastern Visayas, bound for the Philippine capital of Manila in Luzon. The Doña Paz had an official capacity of only 1,518 passengers, but as more and more people came up in line, desperate to get home to their loved ones for Christmas, the crew of the vessel eventually stopped asking for tickets and let more than a thousand chance passengers through, resulting in almost 4,000 people on board. The ship departed Tacloban at 6.30 a.m., and as the captain set their course northward, the passengers who were allowed last on the ship looked for a place to hunker down for the 24-hour journey. As all the cabins and cots had already been taken by those who had tickets, with some cots being shared by up to four people, everyone else had to settle for sitting on the floor. Under clear skies, the Doña Paz sailed at a pace of 26 kilometers per hour, which is around 16 miles per hour, and it docked for a scheduled stopover at Catbalogan, Samar. It was due to arrive in the Philippine capital at 4 in the morning, and at around 10 p.m., after a day of fighting for a spot to stay in and struggling to get meals in the overcrowded kitchen, passengers were ready to settle for the night in hopes of waking up the following day already in Manila. At around 10.30 p.m., the Doña Paz was at Dumali Point, along the Tabla Strait near Marinduque. 
A passenger named Salvador Baxal was on deck and, because there weren't enough restrooms, was peeing on the side of a gangway when he saw the lights of a ship approaching the Doña Paz. Realizing that it was going to crash into them, Salvador went to get his 18-year-old daughter, Aludia, who had been saving their spot on the floor, and they ran far away from where the approaching vessel looked like it was going to slam into them. Not long after, the vessel did slam into the port or left side of the Doña Paz, knocking out the engine room and causing a big explosion. The other passengers awoke to smoke and screaming around them, but as there was no alarm of any kind, no warning or orders from the crew of the Doña Paz, they had no idea what had caused the commotion or what emergency procedure to follow. Nevertheless, they panicked, and as fire spread quickly from the engine room, many passengers unknowingly retreated deeper into the ship as the lights had been cut because of the engine room explosion. Those near the railings jumped overboard without life jackets and without much thought to what they were falling into, as the sea that received them was actually on fire. The vessel that crashed into the Doña Paz was an oil tanker called the MT Vector. It was en route from Bataan to Masbate, carrying 1,050,000 liters of gasoline, kerosene, and other petroleum products owned by Caltex Philippines, which immediately caught fire during the collision and spread not just on the two vessels but also the waters surrounding them. Passengers and crew who had jumped overboard had to dive deep underwater, away from the fiery surface, but as the flames had spread about a kilometer around the two ships, many of them drowned or perished from the fire when they came up to the surface for air. Some of them were likely eaten by sharks, as the Tablas Strait is known to be shark-infested waters. The Doña Paz sank within two hours of the collision, and the Vector sank two hours after that. The Philippine Coast Guard reportedly didn't hear about the accident until 8 hours later, and it took them another 8 hours to launch a rescue operation. Fortunately, a passing inter-island ship, the MS Don Claudio, witnessed the explosion from afar and, after an hour, reached the site of the disaster. By this time, survivors like Aludia and Salvador Baxal had been swimming away from the Doña Paz and diving to avoid the flames on the water's surface and all the floating bodies that didn't make it. Adrift on suitcases or makeshift flotation devices, they waved their tired arms at the approaching Don Claudio as soon as they saw its lights, but because they were already too exhausted to climb on ropes, they were instead thrown nets for them to cling to as their rescuers pulled them up. Away from the flickering glow of the flames and under the steady light aboard the Don Claudio, the survivors for the first time became aware of their injuries' extent as they were given first aid treatment. Some of them, like Aludia, had third-degree burns that readily peeled off. When officials accounted for the number of survivors, they found that 24 were from the MV Doña Paz and 2 were from the MT Vector. A 25th survivor would later reveal herself through GMA Network's Wishkolang program. The survivors from the Doña Paz were Morris Apura, who was 37 years old during the incident, Renato Asisturga, who was 19, Aludia Baxal, 18, Salvador Baxal, 44, Almario Balanay, 44, Generoso Batola, 29, Jose Cabrieto, 29, Samuel Carillo, 27, Severino Carrion, 25, Zosimo de la Rama, 21, Dominador de Payo, 23, Valeriana Duma, who was 14 and revealed herself in 2012 through the Wishkolang program. Alejandro Estuita, 21, Arnel Galang, 18, Mario Leganda, 25, Armando Luminuque, 28, Constancio Mabag, 21, Gilbert Mabutol, 15, 
Francisco Mingote, Lothcardo Niedo, 26, Panfilo Olalla, 34, Eugenio Orot, 27, Paquito Ozabel, 42, Sofronio Sabuco, 44, and Pedro Sorema, 17. From the empty vector were Quartermaster Franklin Bornillo, 26, and Second Mate Reynaldo Tarife, 41. There were unfortunately no survivors from the Doña Paz crew. According to the Doña Paz's operator, Sulpicio Lines, the official passenger manifest of the ferry recorded 1,493 passengers and 59 crew members aboard, despite only being able to carry 1,424 passengers. A revised manifest came out three days after the accident, showing 1,583 passengers and 58 crew members, with 675 passengers boarding in Tacloban and 908 boarding in Catbalogan, Samar. An anonymous official of Sulpicio Lines revealed that since it was the Christmas season, chance passengers were allowed on board, with tickets purchased illegally on the ship at a more affordable rate. These passengers, as well as complimentary ticket holders and children under the age of four, weren't listed on the manifest. Combined with a list of names furnished by relatives and friends of missing people believed to have boarded the Doña Paz, the passenger count was estimated to be at least 4,000 people. Later investigations by the National Bureau of Investigation and the Presidential Task Force showed, based on interviews, court records, and settlement claims, that the Doña Paz had 59 crew members and 4,341 passengers on board, while the Vector had a 13-man crew. Subtracting the Doña Paz survivors and adding the 11 dead from the Vector, the number of casualties came up to 4,385 people. When the scene of the collision was reconstructed, the main question that needed to be answered was why neither of the ships took evasive action. There was a lot of focus on the fact that the Doña Paz was overloaded, as the extra weight would have made it difficult to steer. But despite the international rules at sea stating that two ships about to collide should both turn to the starboard or right side, there was no attempt to steer the Doña Paz away from the approaching vector, or evidence that the two vessels even contacted each other by radio. There was only one apprentice crew member watching the Doña Paz's bridge at the time of the accident, while the captain was reportedly watching a movie in his cabin, and the rest of the officers were having a good time drinking beer and watching TV in the crew's recreation quarters. This was corroborated by one of the Doña Paz survivors, a Philippine constabulary corporal named Luzcardo Niedo, who said that a fellow soldier on board told him of a loud party at the ship's bridge with the captain in attendance. This meant that an apprentice mate might have been steering the ship in the captain's absence, and they might not have been prepared for what they would have seen next. The vector apparently had a defective rudder that required two persons to steer it. According to a ship captain who had previously piloted the vessel, this defect in the rudder would have meant that the vector was zigzagging as it approached the Doña Paz, which in the dark would have been confusing due to the signal lights of the vector. It later came out that the vector didn't just have a defective rudder, but was actually not qualified to even set sail. Its radio license was expired, and it had no certificate of inspection or coast guard license, which were basic documents for a ship to be considered seaworthy. It was also undermanned, and the few crew members that it had were underqualified, with the first mate which answers to the captain only being licensed to serve as second mate, and the chief engineer having no license at all. Most importantly, there was no qualified lookout on the bridge, which would explain why the vector didn't change its course. 
But even despite that, the crew of the Doña Paz during such a clear night should have seen the vector coming as the oil tanker was only moving at 8 kilometers per hour or around 5 miles per hour. Aside from not being able to avoid the vector, however, the crew of the Doña Paz also neglected to perform their duties when the collision already happened. According to survivor Niedo, the members of the crew were running around in panic and none of them made any attempt to organize the passengers. There were also no emergency boats or life jackets to pass around as the jacket lockers had apparently been locked. A look at the Doña Paz's history revealed that it wasn't the first time it had gotten into an accident at sea. On June 5, 1979, the ship, which was still called the Don Sulpicio, was en route from Manila to Cebu when it was beached because its cargo had caught fire. All 1,164 people on board were rescued, but the ship was declared a constructive total loss as the flames had gutted the entire vessel. Sulpicio Lines, however, repurchased the wreck from the underwriters, and after being refurbished, it was returned to service as the Doña Paz in 1981. On December 23, 1987, three days after the Doña Paz collided with the Vector, Sulpicio Lines announced that the ferry was insured for 25 million pesos, which is around 174 million pesos, or 3.48 million US dollars in today's money, and that they were willing to offer the families of those in the manifest 20,000 pesos, or around 400 US dollars per victim. The families of the victims staged a mass rally at Rizal Park, demanding that the kin of those not listed on the manifest be indemnified as well. The Board of Marine Inquiry, in charge of investigating serious maritime incidents, eventually exculpated Sulpicia Lines of any fault in the accident, placing the blame on the vector instead. In 1999, the Supreme Court ruled that it was the Vector's owners who were liable to indemnify the disaster's victims, but that even the families of victims not appearing on the manifest were entitled to indemnity. Caltex Philippines, which had chartered the Vector, was cleared of financial liability. Three more passenger ferries owned by Sulpicio Lines had since sunk into the sea, namely the Doña Marilyn in 1988, the Princess of the Orient in 1998, and the Princess of the Stars in 2008. The Doña Marilyn and the Princess of the Stars sank because they had set sail despite an incoming typhoon. And as for the Princess of the Orient, it appeared probable that the cause of the sinking was the ship's cargo not being lashed properly by the crew. In all three instances, as well as with the Doña Paz, gross negligence and incompetence were displayed on the part of the crew members, and because of this series of disasters, the Maritime Industry Authority revoked Sulpicia Lines' certificate of public convenience. Sulpicia Lines had since rebranded themselves as the Philippines Pan-Asia Carrier Corporation focusing only on cargo shipping. But though this might bring some comfort to the families of the victims of those accidents, it may never bring them closure, particularly with regard to the Doña Paz disaster, as the truth behind why the ferry didn't avoid the vector died along with the Doña Paz crew members and the hundreds of other victims whose bodies were never found. Thank you for listening to Stories After Dark, a Spotify exclusive powered by Anchor. Stay tuned next week for a new episode, and to make sure you're updated about the show, please follow Stories After Dark on your Spotify app as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This story was suggested by listener Keith Rodriguez by email, and this episode was written, narrated, and produced by me, Derek. Music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. 
If you'd like to see the references used for this episode, suggest cases, send personal stories, or further support the show, you can go to storiesafterdark.ph for more information. All of the links are in the episode description.